It's always good to be here with you. And um, message today is a little different. It's sort of a, a study, a Bible study. I, I have one desire, and that is to raise my Ebenezer and exalt the Lord Jesus. I just want to read one verse from our text this morning, and that's verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. A difficult book for someone who is a brand new Christian. I wouldn't recommend starting in this book. It's best to read the Gospel of John or Epistle to the Philippians or First John, Book of Proverbs. But Galatians takes a little more in-depth study. And so this morning I want to sort of unpack. I think that's the new word that I'm hearing floating around now. Unpack some verses from this passage and give us a clear understanding of Paul's intent in writing this epistle. And once again exalt the Lord Jesus. So verse 19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? That's a question. What's the purpose of the law? Paul said it was added because of transgressions till or until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for another opportunity to just hear God's word. It's been a busy week with so many circumstances and events that could capture our thoughts and attention right now. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that thy spirit might help us to focus and hear the word of God, hear the voice of the Lord. Speak to our hearts this morning, encourage us, give us assurance, give us a little clearer vision of who Jesus is and what he has done. And as we wait upon you, we thank you in advance, because we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, good morning, it's good to see you. I, I never take for granted any opportunity that I get to preach or teach God's word. It's precious. Uh, the call of God upon my life and the doors that he has opened for me to preach his word is a privilege for which I am eternally grateful. And I just thank Pastor Blaylock and the staff here again for another invitation to be with you this morning. We love Beacon Baptist Church. We admire Beacon Baptist Church. And I think one of the things that is dear to my heart about this church is the fact that it has a heart for missions. Ensuring that the gospel is taken to different parts of the world. I believe that a church that has a heart for missions understands the heart of God. And the man whom God used to write 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament also had a heart for missions, the Apostle Paul. 
we find in the book of Acts that he went on three missionary journeys. And on these journeys, he started several churches, winning souls to Christ and then teaching them the truths about the grace of God. And one of the places that Paul visited on his very first journey was this region that we call Galatia. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. And when he got there, he planted a church, and that church eventually multiplied into seven other churches, according to Bible scholars. And so this is why when he writes his epistle to the Galatians, he refers to the churches of Galatia in chapter 1 and verse 2. Now when we read the letters or epistles that Paul wrote, we find that most of them have a central theme. For example, the central theme of the book of Ephesians is the unity of the church. The central theme of the book of Colossians is the fact that Christ is the head of the church. The central theme of the book of First Thessalonians is the fact that Christ is coming for his church. And to, to know that there is a theme helps us when we read or study those books because we have an idea of what path we're going down. But when Paul wrote to the believers at Galatia, his heart was broken. When he started the church in Galatia, he made absolutely sure that he taught the people the truth that salvation was a free gift. That salvation is a free gift. That we are declared righteous by God when we put our faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Nothing else is needed. But somewhere along the line, false teachers had come in and taught the people of Galatia the error that they were required to believe in Christ, but at the same time, they were also to keep the Mosaic law. And when Paul learned of this, he was grieved. Because the people that he dearly loved were now living in bondage because of false teaching. Now, here is the truth. There are some today who are in this same situation with the same thoughts. Many of them live in my country. They question salvation by faith through grace plus nothing. They have a problem with that. And I have been asked by some of these folks, isn't the law given by Moses in the Bible? Aren't we required to keep the law because it's in the Bible? What happens to those people who break the law? How does the law apply to Christians? What's the purpose of the law? And these are valid questions because the truth is the law is in the Bible. And the law is spoken of throughout the word of God. And these are the questions that the Apostle Paul faced 2,000 years ago. People who were struggling 
with the law and with Christianity as he had taught it. And so this is what is addressed in this wonderful book, which is the epistle to the Galatians. The churches back then benefited from what Paul wrote, and so can we. You know, as a child and a young teenager, growing up in my parents' home, I was made to believe that in life I had to work hard to earn success. Hard work, my parents told me, would always be rewarded with achievement and success. My father and mother would always tell me, nothing in life is free. You have to work for it. If you want to do it or receive it honorably. And they told me that once I achieved success, then I would feel worthy enough to enjoy it because of the sacrifice and hard work that I made and put in. Looking back now, I think my father's middle name was Discipline. Because that word was constantly in his vocabulary when he spoke to me. Hugh, you need to be disciplined. He would get us up in the morning at 5 o'clock when it was track and field season. and We'd have to run around Jessica Park for miles. Then he would give us wind sprints and we'd go home, take a shower, eat breakfast and go to school. And then when it was swim season, he'd take us down to the national stadium and I'd have to swim laps back and forth. Crying under the water. I'm glad that it was water that nobody could see me. But then when the races came, we ran and we won the medals and we swam and won the medals. I, he, he gave me this little certificate the other day. I came second in a breaststroke race, old, tattered, discolored. I don't know where the medals are and I don't know where all the other certificates are. But discipline was what caused that. And so when I first heard that salvation was a free gift and that all I had to do was believe in Jesus... I had a problem because I kept reminding myself nothing in life is free. That's what my parents taught me. It can't be that simple. I am the guilty one, so I must have a part to play to get to heaven. It's not just a matter of belief plus nothing. Simple faith in Christ sounded too good to be true. And so when the fear of death would overwhelm me, especially I, as I got into my teenage years, I would remind God of my christening when I was a baby. And I'd remind God of my confirmation when I was 12. And I would remind God of all the prayers that I made. And it still didn't alleviate the fear of dying. Because I always had the fear that I hadn't done enough good to outweigh the bad. At night time, I would lie in my bed and I would think of all the actions of that day. And invariably, it was I did more bad than good. And so every night, as a child, I would pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Every night. The truth of the matter is that I was in bondage. 
I was shackled by fear. I shackled by worry. I shackled by doubt. Because I just didn't know where I was going to go if I died. The same thing was happening in Galatia. The people were in bondage. And Paul wrote to them because of that fact. Six times he puts in the word bondage in the book of Galatians. Due to the fact that false teachers had come in and taught them this error. Yes, trust Christ, but you have to keep the law. Paul had taught them that the grace of God through Jesus Christ was enough and that salvation was a free gift. But the false teachers had come in and sowed doubt. And in chapter 2 of Galatians and verse 4, he says, Because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So not only were they unsaved in the era believing that they had to do good works and keep the law to receive favor from God and go to heaven, but Christians were also embracing the false teaching that salvation would only be possible if they trusted Christ and then keep the law. They were mixing grace with the law. And they believed that they had to believe in Christ as well as earn God's favor with their good deeds. When I was working, I had a friend. Um, let's call him Eddie. I hope there are no Eddies here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I was going to use Mike, but then Mike sits on the front row. So. <laughs> so let's call him Eddie. Scared of death. He used to tell me, he says, you am afraid to die. He had no problems admitting that he was a sinner. And for two years... We'd, we'd hook up car to car. He was a lieutenant. So sometimes if I got dispatched on a call, he would get with the dispatcher and say, send another unit. <laughs> I'd say, man, it's good to have friends in high places. But he was so interested to hear what the Bible had to say. And I, I taught him about Jesus and salvation and creation and, and God's plan of salvation. You know, Eddie had a, an IQ of, I think, close to about 130. He was an intellectual. And one night he came to me and he said, you know, Hugh, last night I went home and I knelt beside my bed and I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And I was rejoicing. He had tears in his eyes when he said that. And he came to our church in Fort Lauderdale a few times, but then he came back and told me that uh, he decided to go back to the Catholic Church. Because he was stimulated by the intellectualism that he found there. And he felt that he was earning God's favor by doing all the rituals. He said he was looking forward to retirement so that he could go to Mass every day. Praying to Mary, going through the rosary, confession, communion. He could not accept the truth, as he put it, the concept that salvation was through grace plus nothing. That, my friend, is bondage. 
Eddie thought that if he did not continually strive to earn God's approval, he might lose favor with God and lose salvation. And that's how he's living now. That's bondage. And so this is why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, because they were dealing with the same issue, the same problem. And so he starts his letter, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I am shocked that you would be so far from the truth. You should know better because I taught you the truth. Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. Paul says, God called him to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred. Now, excuse me, that's 1. Chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing, this is so clear. This is what he taught them. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Can't get any clearer than that. And so by the time he gets to the third chapter, he can't help but ramp up how stern he is with them. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? To kind of paraphrase what Paul is saying, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? I know that I made clear to you the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Here is a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by faith? How could you be so foolish? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And in my mind, I'm thinking by this time, Paul is probably in tears. He's broken. One aspect of the law that they were particularly focused on and arguing about was circumcision. And the false teachers had convinced them that a man could never go to heaven, could never have eternal life if he wasn't circumcised. He was forever condemned. And this is what Paul tells him along the lines of this subject, chapter 5 and verse 2. 
Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. James says if we keep all and offending one, we're guilty of all. And that's what Paul is reiterating here. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are. Whoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So the million dollar question then is, what then is the purpose of the law? And Paul addresses this head on in chapter 3 and verse 19. And this was the text that we read from at the beginning of the message. Wherefore then serveth the law? Here is the answer. It was added. And I have that underlined in my Bible. It was added because of transgressions. Till, I have that underlined it. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. So why was the law given? Paul answers it. It was added to show people how sinful they were and how far short of God's holiness and perfection they had fallen. And it was added until the seed, singular, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. That's mankind. That's who the promise was made to. This seed that Paul is talking about, promised by God, is the same seed that God promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the law was added to the promise and would constantly remind the people of their sinfulness. It didn't replace the promise. It was added to the promise. And the law was given to the mediator between God and the people who was Moses. So the law would coexist with the promise of the Messiah until he came to earth. Once the Messiah or the promise came, then he lived a perfect, sinless life, never breaking the law. Not even in thought. And then he died for sinful mankind, was buried and then rose from the dead. And so for the very first time in history, since God gave the law, it was now fulfilled. Its purpose had been served. Its demands had been met. And God's wrath was appeased. All of this in one man, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself willingly. And that's why when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wrote in chapter 10 and verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for our righteousness to everyone that believeth. Man, what a blessing. What a blessing. 
what love, what grace. The songwriter said, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was shed. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. So the Lord's sinless life the Lord's death and burial and resurrection destroyed the need for the people to embrace a self-righteous or good works religion. No longer did they have to worry about that. Paul says it so eloquently in chapter 2 at verse 21. If righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If righteousness comes from keeping the law, then the Lord Jesus died in vain. And so I ask the question one more time. What was the purpose of the law? I think Paul gives us a, a perfect illustration in chapter 3. He says in verse 24, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Schoolmaster. Here in America, we don't really use that term. It's more of a British term. You know, um, in Jamaica, when I was a child, we used to have headmasters, headmistresses. In America, we call it, they're called principals. A schoolmaster, as Paul writes here, was an educational guardian. A nice British word since we had the coronation yesterday is pedagogue. <laughs> and that word brings back bad memories. You know, my, my parents, again, with the discipline thing, they decided that to be really disciplined, send them off to boarding school at 11 years old. That's what they did. And when I was in boarding school, every night we used to have study hall from 6 to 8. We had to be dressed properly. We had to sit in this big, well-lit, looked like a warehouse. And then all the boys, it was an all-boys school. We were all sitting around. We were supposed to be doing either homework or studying. Well, I discovered that my biology book was a great source of um, clandestine sinfulness because I could prop it up on the desk and then put a comic book behind it. <laughs> So one night, you know, I'm studying, and the prefect comes around, and he says, what you doing? Well, what you going to say, you know? Caught dead. So that's when I was introduced to lines. Lines is where you're required to write X amount of sentences to remind you of what you did wrong. So I thought he was going to give me something like, I will study at night, or something easy like that. No, no, no. It was persistent perversity provokes the patient pedagogue. 
producing particularly painful punishment. 500 lines black by the end of the week. Persistent perversity provokes the patient pedagogue, producing particularly painful punishment. 57 years ago, and I still remember it. <laughs> made, made a point, didn't it? Or maybe I did it so many times, it stuck. But that's when I was introduced to the word pedagogue, a schoolmaster. You see, in the olden days in wealthy households, well-educated slaves took the children to and from school and watched over them during the days, and they were called schoolmasters. And they taught the children and protected the children and disciplined the children. They were literally child conductors. And so the law, as Paul writes it here using the illustration of the schoolmaster, brought up the Jew, raised the Jew, regulated the life of the Jew, prepared the Jew for the coming Messiah, the promise, proved to the Jew that he needed a savior. Verse 24 again, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But once Jesus came, the schoolmaster was no longer needed. Verse 25 says, But after that faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. The sad commentary, however, is that they didn't accept him. John says in chapter 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But praise the Lord. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's us. That's us. Jesus came and they rejected him. The Pharisees who should have known who he was hated him, wanted him killed, hated his disciples, persecuted them. But he was resolute and set for the will of God, which was to die for our sins. And when he hung on that cross, he said the words to Telestai, it is finished. Paid in full. No longer do we have to stand under the bondage of the law. And the more we study the Bible is the more we understand who Jesus is and most importantly, what he did for us. Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. The songwriter said, How many sermons can be preached about my Jesus. How many songs can be sung about God's Son? There are not enough words, enough notes in the music to tell the story of my Savior and what he's done. And did I mention that I love him that I worship and adore him. When I can see no way, he makes a way. 
And did I mention he's been faithful with every promise he's ever made? I love him, and that's all I want to say. You know, this message is very short. It examines why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. But more importantly, it exalts and glorifies our Savior. I'm tired of the news. I'm tired of the negativity. I'm tired of the hate and the division. And so I praise the Lord that I can get refocused and have my spiritual compass turned back on what is most important, and that's our Savior. That brings us back to a place of civility and love and peace and hope. All that he has done is for us, and we love him and appreciate him. I said at the beginning that there are many people that I've run across, many of them in my own country, who wrestle with the assurance of salvation. They will tell you, yes, I receive Christ as my Savior. But they believe that if something happens in their life, then they've lost their salvation. If something happens where they get off track or they fall into sin, then they have to get saved all over again. Jesus only died once. And once God declares us righteous, we're righteous forevermore in the sight of God through Jesus Christ. If we sin, he gives us the privilege of confessing our sins. And then he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we sin and we live in sin without confessing and forsaking, then he steps in as a loving parent and he corrects us. He punishes us. And Paul says that gives us peace because we know we're children of God. So there's a process, and it's clearly outlined in the Bible. The bottom line is every one of us must have the assurance that if something happened un unexpectedly and we died, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. If you don't have that assurance this morning, this message is for you. Can you remember a time in your life, specifically, when you recognized that you were a sinner? You understood that Jesus died for you and rose again, and you believe it. And you accepted Christ as your Savior. If you cannot pinpoint a time, then you can't have that assurance. And if you're here this morning and you've done that, but for some reason you just feel that you got off track and, and you, you probably need to get saved again, then we need to help you. We want to help you. You know, every time I come to Beacon and I look out in the auditorium, I say, well, all of these folks are perfect. They're saved. <laughs> because I don't get a chance to interact with you. And you're all nicely dressed and you pay attention and all of that. But, you know, God knows our heart. And God knows what we struggle with as human beings. And so I just pray this morning that this message will be an encouragement to you. 
a source of assurance for you. And then one that we can lift our hands and say, praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, that it's just as pertinent to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Any problem that exists can be answered and dealt with from the word of God. Before I continue praying, if you're here this morning and you say, you know, Hugh, I'm not sure. If I die today, I cannot tell you I'm 100% sure that I go to heaven and I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up right where you are and put it back down. God bless you. Keep it up so I can see. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure. Please pray for me. I see those three hands. This is why we come to church, so that we can get help spiritually. Not to check a box that I went to church. Please come and see us after church. Or come down to the aisle, and someone will take you privately to a room and show you in the Bible step by step how you can know without a doubt that when you die, heaven is your home. That's why we're here. That's why we come to church. And then if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ as, you, as your Savior, but there are some things that have caused you to kind of buckle and, and you're kind of wobbling and there are some issues that you're dealing with that you need prayer about, prayer for. Would you slip your hand up so that I know who I'm praying for? God bless you. God bless you. God bless your hands all over the auditorium. Thank you. You can put them down. I see it, sir. Thank you. Our Heavenly Father, there are three here this morning that have raised their hand. Nobody forced them to do it. They did it on their own, which means that they're concerned about their salvation. We want to help them. And so I pray during this invitational hymn that they would come forward or seek one of us out so that we can take them privately into another room and show them from the Bible step by step clearly how they can accept Christ and know for a fact that they're sealed and on their way to heaven. And then for those in our midst, your children who are struggling with issues, situations, decisions, I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give them strength this morning, that they would take the truths of this message and realize they're standing in Christ and then spend some time with you. And if they need further help, Lord, I pray that they'd seek one of us out so that we can pray with them and help them. Thank you for church. Thank you for a place where we can get our spiritual needs met. We just commit this time to you now in Christ's name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.